from over our hearts say this with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. It's how he thinks. It reveals to me who God says I am. And tells me what God says I can have. Because it's how he thinks, I choose to believe and act on what I'm going to read. And therefore I am transformed. Last Sunday during my message while defining a popular term in Christian circles, namely that of strongholds, I unnecessarily drew comparisons between my views and a few isolated practices which sincere Christian brothers have used to exercise their faith in resisting spiritual darkness. My comments placed me in a position of attacking those beliefs, or worse, being dismissive of fellow brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Such comparisons are beneath the standard of the excellence of this pulpit, as well as my personal commitment to love. I apologize to you and anyone that was offended by those comments. Now, we're going to continue with part two. You didn't expect me to begin that way, did you? (laughs) little disclaimer there. All right, so let's review some of the things we learned last week. First of all, we are accountable for our lives. We're partners with God. And there seems to be two different extremes that uh, we experience in this area of spiritual authority or dealing with the supernatural or dealing with strongholds in our life. It's common to either find individuals who have abdicated all of their partnership, abdicated all of their authority, and so they take no responsibility for what happens in their life. Or there are those who are constantly blaming evil, constantly blaming the devil. And so we, we talked about that need to be careful that we don't assign to God or ascribe to God something that he hasn't taken to himself. On the same hand, it's important that we not be devil conscience. Some people find a demon behind every doorknob. You know, the devil's after me. The devil is doing this. And so we looked at a key passage of scripture that everyone I know that's ever taught on this subject of spiritual authority uses and, and defers to. And we find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Go there with me. A number of these passages will be on the screen over my shoulder here, and so you'll be able, if you do not have a Bible this morning, to continue to follow and read along. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. The Apostle Paul is speaking, and he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take thought, excuse me, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Notice how many times there's a reference to your mind, to your thoughts, to what you're thinking. I wonder if we've made a mistake in relegating the subject of taking spiritual authority or releasing our spiritual authority and relegated it to these external darknesses, evil, powers, authorities, and we've failed or we've missed the proximity of these spiritual powers. He says, casting down strongholds, which literally means to take down or tear down walls. It's a throwback to what the Romans had to do when they were conquering a foe. Oftentimes they would come upon a fortress built with rocks, a hiding place built with stones, and it would take them days to dismantle a portion of, those, a portion of the wall and remove enough of those stones 
so that they could break into the city. What a picture. The strongholds that Paul is talking about here are not external powers of darkness. They're not demons outside of us. They're our own thought realm. They are our own imagination and thoughts and opinions and religious ideas about God. And we have to dismantle, we have to pull down, we have to break through those religious walls of tradition that keep us in bondage to the way religious people often think. Here's the mirror translation. I love this, of verse 4 in this chapter. The dynamic of our strategy is revealed in God's ability to disengage mindsets and perceptions that have held people captive in pseudo-fortresses for centuries. Verse 5. Every lofty idea and argument positioned against the knowledge of God is cast down and exposed to be a mere invention of our own imagination. So we arrest every thought that could possibly trigger an opposing threat to our redeemed identity and our innocence. Think of this. Every day, you and I wrestle with thoughts, a lot of them constitute fortresses and walls that have been there in our life religiously for decades. God doesn't love me. God's mad at me. God's out to get me. God won't heal the sick. You know, I've, I've gone too far. I'm beyond help. God doesn't love me as much as he loves. Well, if only I had that gift or that talent, I'd be more successful. I mean, you name it. All day long, we wrestle constantly with these fortresses, these imaginations, these opinions inside of our own head. Not external. They're not demons. They're not powers outside of ourselves. Paul says, we need to take our own imaginations captive, remove those stones, break through that wall, and find out our true identity in Jesus Christ. So, I have a big idea for you here this morning. You ready? I'm not sure if I wrote this on your handout or not. And if there's a blank, you'll want to fill it out. But here's our big idea. Your redeemed identity is actually the source of your spiritual authority and victory over spiritual darkness. It is not how loud you speak to the devil. It is not how long you pray. It's not how many days you fast. It's not how often you come to church or how many times you get on your knees during the week. All of those things are good. But those things do not prepare you. And those things do not equip you to pull down strongholds. There's one thing that's the source of your ability to pull down these imaginations that have been built into our lives and our minds for decades often through religious teaching, wrong religious teaching. And that is a revelation of who you are in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was concerned with. We went back last week all the way to the book of Genesis and we saw our beginning, man's beginning in the book of Genesis in chapter 1. Verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, And let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. All the way back in the beginning, when God created man, he gave man authority. It's who he was. It's how he was created. It was his identity. 
He had authority over everything in the earth because God gave him that as his identity. He didn't have to struggle. He didn't have to fast. He didn't have to pray. He didn't have to get on his knees. He just walked with God. And God said, Adam, you are in my likeness. You are as me in the earth. I am walking in the earth because of you. When you walk, when you speak, when you name an animal, when you love, when you fish, when you jump, when you run, you're doing that in me, in my power, in my life. You are the, my essence in the earth. And so part of that essence, part of that redeemed identity, or excuse me, that identity that God gave Adam all the way in the beginning was you take authority, you rule. Now something happened to that rule and that authority we found out last week. Adam gave it away in chapter 3 to a being, to an angel that we know as Satan. We know that happened because during the temptation of Jesus, 1,500 years later, Jesus was fasting. He was out in the desert. It was prior to his public ministry. He was preparing. And Satan appeared to Jesus and brought to him three different temptations. The third one was when Satan promised Jesus, Jesus, do you see all of these kingdoms? Do you see all of this power and authority, I will give it to you if you will bow down and worship me because it's been given to me. Well, how many of you know God did not give the devil any authority? God did not give the devil the kingdoms of this world. They belonged to Adam back in the beginning and Adam abdicated them and gave them to our enemy Satan. And so, as a result of that, they had to be redeemed. That authority, that power, that ability to rule in our circumstances had to be redeemed and given back to us. Well, when Jesus first appeared on the earth, one of the things that so surprised his disciples that followed him was how he dealt with spiritual authority. We read about it in Luke's gospel, chapter 4, verse 36. All the people were amazed and they said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. They had never seen anything like that. What is this? Who is this man? He gives orders to spiritual powers. He acts like he's in. He acts like he's in charge of all of this. He acts like he just has authority over all of this darkness, these principalities, these powers. And he just sort of dismisses them. He just speaks to them and commands them to leave somebody and their eyes open. He commands them to go and they come out of a man and they run into the swine and the swine are driven over the cliff. We don't understand this. What is this power? Luke chapter 9 verse 1 says, He called the twelve together and he gave them power. And watch, he gave them power and authority over all the demons. Is that on the screen? Will, will we have it on the screen? Okay, so Luke chapter 9 and verse 1, Jerry, if you're able to find that. I want people to see it. Imagine. So I stopped and I was thinking. It says that he gave them power. How would you give somebody power? When you think about, uh, take an intersection where the light has gone out. You with me? 
So you're driving, you approach an intersection, and the lights have gone out. What do they do? What do they do when when the stoplights go out at an intersection? They dispatch someone who has power. Really? No. They put a policeman in that intersection, and he holds up his hand, and people stop, and he blows the whistle, and, and people go, stop, you, go, stop, right? Come on, let's go. Stop, you stop, you come. Now, you stop, and you come. Let me ask you a question. Is he exercising power? I mean, if somebody wanted, wanted to press on the gas and run him down, he wouldn't be able to stop that person, right? What is he exercising? Authority. Authority. Who gave it to him? <laughs> A source outside of himself, much bigger than himself. We would call it the law, the government, so forth. It is the same thing when it comes to spiritual authority. God gave Adam all the authority and rule over all of the earth. Adam abdicated it. Satan offered it to Jesus. Jesus wouldn't bow. (laughs) Said, I serve the Father. Your day's coming. The scripture says Satan left him for a more opportune time because he couldn't get him to, to fall to give in and then Jesus did something before he left this earth the scripture says he accomplished something in the spirit realm that allowed him to give that authority back to us are you with me now as a precursor we find him giving his disciples that were following him this authority to speak to demons and to command them to come out. And his disciples were excited. They were jumping up and down. They came back after one crusade and said, Jesus, Jesus, this is exciting. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, look, that's, that's child's play. What you should be excited about is that your name is written in heaven in the book what was he saying don't get all excited about this external authority that yes you can exercise get excited about who you are who God made you to be now that was old covenant Jesus temporarily during crusades For the purpose of his ministry, Wally walked the earth, gave his disciples authority. But then something changed. Jesus did something that forever affected God's relationship with the human race. Jesus died. And God raised him from the dead. And why? Not to forgive your sins. <laughs> I don't know why I say things sometimes that get you to not like me, but if you'll st- stay with me a minute and I'll explain. See, we think Jesus died so God would forgive our sins. Now, wait a minute. The Bible records in the Gospels that Jesus forgave people's sins and he hadn't died yet. Forgiving sin is easy. Jesus did that before he died. Jesus died to redeem our fallen innocence and bring us back into perfect relationship with the Father like we had it in the garden. There is no difference between you and Adam. 
I mean the original. You know what I mean? There's no difference between you and Eve, the original. In fact, I'm going to go further because that, that, that's a creation. That's a creation of God. And we, th- we thank God for that and our heritage and what we know about that, the first human beings on the planet. God did one better. God recreated you and gave you a brand new spirit. It's called the new birth. You must be born again, the scripture says. And that's what God accomplished when Jesus rose from the dead. God said, all right, the penalty is paid. The price is paid. And he redeemed all of humankind back to himself through Jesus. And we now have a perfect Right relationship with God, free of sin, all trespasses forgiven, all of the written code against us, all of the laws condemning us are gone, dismissed, and we now have a perfect new relationship with the Father because of what Jesus did. Now, that's what you should get excited about. And oh, by the way, if you encounter any kind of demon activity or spiritual darkness, just in the name of Jesus, leave. You don't spend hours with it. You don't need to fast and pray and hold big meetings. And, all right, you really don't. You say, well, what about that scripture that, that uh, they brought that boy to Jesus and, and, and the disciples couldn't cast out the demon. You remember that? And, and so Jesus said, how long am I going to be with you? <laughs> and he turned to the boy and, and he just, he delivered the boy and gave him back to his father. And his disciples said, how come we couldn't do that? And Jesus said, this kind comes not out, but by Fasting and praying. Now, fasting is not in the original. It's not in the language, first of all. Just prayer. And then keep this in mind. That was pre the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit did not indwell those disciples. To have fellowship with God, they did need to pray. To walk in the anointing, God had to, Jesus had to delegate it. But that's all changed now. Post the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are his dwelling place. He lives in you. You don't pray to get, you pray to celebrate. You do not pray to get God to give you something you pray to worship and celebrate and oh by the way when you encounter some sort of demonic presence just speak to it go in the name of Jesus and keep going now I'll submit to you that this space right here between your left and right ear is far more of a problem to you than any of the demons and darknesses and spiritual things that are going on in the air. That's why Paul dealt with it and called it a stronghold and then said, it's your imaginations. It's those fortresses that have built up those religious ideas of God and how he works. For instance, I didn't know that God had already forgiven me in Jesus I thought I had to confess my sin before God would forgive me. And so that religious tradition has remained with me now since Sunday school. And so whenever I would commit a sin, I'd feel all grieved and beat up and guilty and worthless. And I mean, the devil didn't have to be anywhere around. I shamed myself. I made myself, you know... I incapacitated myself through my guilt and fear and shame. Are you with me? Have you done that before? Have you just felt so bad that you couldn't pray? Have you just felt so 
like God didn't love you and, and how could he now forgive this? You've done this about the 30th time now. Remember? You've done this now again and again. God can't forgive me this time. See? And so we just disqualify ourselves. Now that's religious teaching. And nowhere in the New Testament after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm talking about the Pauline revelation of Christ. So from Acts forward, you will not read anything about having to ask God for forgiveness. What you'll read is this. 1 John chapter 1, because I know where your mind is going, and I know what you're quoting right now in your mind. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess your sin... God is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Right? Remember that? Sunday school, 101. So we think, we've been trained religiously, that the word confess there means to tell God to find something that's wrong and then to admit and tell God. And if you don't tell him, he won't forgive you. What if you die before you get a chance to tell him? You're in trouble. <laughs> I mean, under that religious system. That word confess there does not mean to tell God. It means to agree with God. It's the word homo legeo, the Greek word, to confess, to agree with God that my sins are are, already have been, past tense, forgiven, and therefore I walk in newness of life. Now see, uh, uh, unless you get some teaching on your identity in Christ, you will live under these old religious systems that will keep you in bondage. And I'm telling you, that stronghold right there of not feeling like you're right with God and God is mad at you, is more disabling to your life than any demon ever could be. And we're out here chasing demons, trying to pull down strongholds of demons externally. And here we are wrestling with decades of unforgiveness and shame and guilt because we don't understand who we are in Jesus Christ and how that God, through one act, for all time, redeemed all of humanity back to himself into perfect relationship with him. And then he placed his spirit within us and said, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now live it. Live in this earth like I did. And he said, greater work shall you do because I go back to my father. You can, no, that, that's all right. Are you clapping? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, that's, yes. Can you see why I only got about a third through my outline last week? And I was supposed to just be reviewing with you now. And I'm still, I'm, I'm several pages away from getting through this week. I'm just so excited about this stuff. Nobody taught me this about spiritual authority. Nobody taught me this about how to release my spiritual authority. So I'd go, I'd go to release my spiritual authority and do battle with the devil. And you know what the first thing would happen when I was out there, Tyree, getting ready to do battle with the devil? My own guilt and shame would rise up and I'd remember some sin. And then I'd feel God, God's unhappy with me. I'm disqualified. I can't do battle with the devil. <laughs> and the truth is, Jesus has already done everything about the devil he's going to do. Nothing you say, nothing you command, no gymnastics you jump, no hoops you jump through is going to get the devil to leave you any greater than what Jesus has already accomplished. Remember, our source of spiritual authority over spiritual darkness is our redeemed identity, not mental gymnastics or spiritual gymnastics of speaking and talking and fasting and praying. You know what we've done? 
we got delivered from one law and we just switched to a new law. We changed from not having to sacrifice animals and wear certain clothes and celebrate certain feasts and do all of those things, you know, in the Old Testament, 613 different, you know, religious rules in the Old Testament. You know what we've done? We've just transitioned them over now and we have a new Torah. We have a new Torah. You got to pray. You got to fast. You got to come to church. You got to sing in the choir. You can't smoke. You can't drink. Now, I'm not suggesting that those are great things for you just to run out and, 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 you know, just give yourself to because God's not mad at you. Here's the deal. You have grace not to do those things because of your redeemed status with the, with the Heavenly Father. I don't want to do those things. That, that desire in me has lessened the more I've realized who I am in Christ rather than me trying not to do them. I'm way off topic. I'm just so way off. Now, look at the New Testament revelation now of our redeemed status when it comes to spiritual authority. Look with me at the book of Colossians, chapter 2. I know some of you want to Maybe make a note in your Bible. So I'm, I, I, I'm pausing so that you'll turn. And we may have the reference on the, on the screen here, but some of you brought your Bibles and, and I want you to see it there. Here's the New Testament revelation of what Jesus accomplished. You ready? Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Jesus. Oh, we need to read this together. Would you do that? Do we have it on the screen, Jerry? Okay, so I think what Jerry has up for us is what I'm reading, and so you'll be able to just read aloud. Ready? Read. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses. Wait. So what are you doing going to confessional? Now, I'm, I'm not picking on a religion here. Oh, I just, you know, I don't want to have to issue another disclaimer next week. <laughs> hang, hang with me, okay? I, I'm not picking on anybody's religion here. I used to turn my bedroom closet into a confessional. I've turned my car into a confessional. Just driving down the highway, weeping and crying. Oh God, I know you're mad at me. I know I did this for the 10th time, Lord, and how can you forgive me again? And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with who? Jesus. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. How many? All. Just the ones you've confessed? All. Just the ones that you feel better about because you've stopped doing something you knew wasn't pleasing to God? That's what I used to think. God's only forgiven me of the things that I've talked to him about and I've stopped doing. I'm in trouble. <laughs> You're in trouble. Come on. Admit it. We're in big trouble if that's how this thing works. Let's keep reading. By cancel how do you do it? By canceling the read it out loud. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and the authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in it. Why does he switch? from talking or include in the conversation 
about my personal sin, a comment about principalities and powers and triumphing over them. Because he knew that he couldn't just deal with the fact that Jesus has redeemed me and all my sins are forgiven already, past, present, and future. He needed to let me know he's also dealt with the devil who's daily going to remind you and me of our faults and that we're not worthy. Yes, Nina, exactly right. The book of Revelation, there's a scripture where uh, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. Now, you remember last week we talked about how that the devil actually has no power, no authority. Why do I say that? Because it says here that Jesus disarmed these rulers. In John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. Now, what power then does he have? I mean, if, if you believe in chasing devils, if you believe in having a good fight with the devil, or if you believe that the devil's chasing you, I've heard more Christians say, the devil is after me. The devil, <laughs> have you ever, the devil's after me. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever, the devil's after me. Could I ask you a question? What's he going to do when he gets there? If he's been disarmed, he can't grab you. He can't wrestle you down to the floor. I mean, what's he going to do? He's a seed merchant. He plants ideas and thoughts in the fertile soil of our redeemed self, trying to get us to quit. Listen, because this goes back to the garden, Genesis chapter 1, trying to get us to question God and our identity. What is the first thing that Satan came into the garden and tried to get Eve to do? Doubt what God had said. What, what, what was the temptation? What was the doubt? Has God said, has God said, right? If you eat of this tree, you will die. No, that's not true. God knows that if you eat of this tree, you're going to be what was the temptation? What was the word? What was the doubt seed that he planted? You will be like him. That's where it all started. That is the original sin. The original sin goes all the way back to the Satan presenting to Eve a doubt that she wasn't complete in what God had made her and created her to be. And so now, she needed to take of this tree so she could really be complete and really be like God. God knows if you eat of this tree, you'll really have it all. You'll really be like God. And she believed it. She accepted the seed. She planted it into her mind and her feelings and her being. That's what started it all. And that's the only power that Satan has today is to present you and I, is that right? To present you and me. See, I do think when I preach. I just sometimes say things that I didn't think about. <laughs> Satan does go about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's New Testament. He is still active. He is still real. 
But his only real power in the lives of those who have surrendered their life to Christ and been born again and received this great gift of salvation, his only real power is to get you to doubt your completeness in God and to get you thinking that God's mad at you and that you're still, you know, sinful and that now gets you involved in all these works, all this religious duty and obedience and, and then he's got you. He's got us. And it becomes a stronghold in our own mind. And so Ephesians, go, go with me there. If you're filling in your blanks, it's seated with him. Seated with him. We are seated. This is the foundation of spiritual authority and how to release it. That you and I are seated with Christ. Let's look at it. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in what? The knowledge of him. Say it out loud. The knowledge of him. What is that? Having my eyes. Say it. Having my eyes. Personalize it. Having my eyes of my heart. What? enlightened why that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to what according to me having to fast having to pray having to read a certain number of scriptures each day, having to go through a bunch of gymnastics spiritually to be pleasing to God? No. It, it, it says here that he worked this great power toward us who believe according to his might, which he worked in Christ when he did what? raised him from the dead, and then what what did he do with Jesus? Where did Jesus go after he was raised from the dead? Well, he spent 40 days here on the earth after his resurrection, appearing to people, talking with people, uh, loving people, you know, giving people, uh, you know, a sense of resurrection and what it was like in in his redeemed body. But then he, he he ascended to the Father and sat down, what's it say? He sat down at the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. Where is that? Far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and every name that is named. Is there anything that doesn't cover? Is there any struggle I'm having that that doesn't cover? Is there anything I'm wrestling with in my finances, my relationships, my, that that doesn't cover? Jesus is above it all. Could you say that? Jesus is above. God's bigger than all my problems. Jesus is exalted above every name. Jesus is higher than sickness. Jesus is higher than poverty. Jesus is above weakness. Jesus is above shame and guilt. Jesus is above addictions. Jesus is above every name. Now watch this. Verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Oh my goodness. That means I'm seated with him. I'm with him. That means they're under my feet. And here's the mirror translation of this. Verse 20, I'll start. It is the same dynamic energy that he unleashed in Christ when he raised him from the dead, infinitely above all the combined forces of rule, authority, dominion, or governments. I want you to see this. He subjected all these powers under his feet. He towers head and shoulders above everything. He is the head, the church which is his body, the completeness of his being that fills 
all in all resides in us. God cannot make himself more visible or exhibit himself more accurately. You are a showcase of God's glory. You are a showcase of God's love. You are a showcase of God's power. You are on this earth showcasing God's love and everything that's good about God. That's why when somebody looks at you, they see God. Look at somebody and just say, I'm looking at God. <laughs> now it's not, God doesn't have your nose, he doesn't have your eyes, you know, he doesn't have your hair. <laughs> right? We're, we're talking about who we are in Christ. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, it's on your handout there, look at it, verse 6. And he raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him. Here's the mirror translation. As much as we were co-included in his death, we were co-included in his resurrection. We are also elevated in his ascension to be equally present in the throne room of the heavenly realm where we were co-seated with him in his executive authority. We are fully represented in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you can accept that Jesus rose from the dead and is now seated at God's right hand? Let, let me just see a hand. How many of you can accept, how many of you can imagine that Jesus ascended, he left this earth, and he's now seated with the Father at the Father's right hand, and he's above all principality and dominion and might, and every name that is named, Jesus is at the right hand of God. You know what? You are there with him. You're sitting there with him right now. You are above. Whatever your circumstances, they are temporary. And to Shana and Bill Jacobs' family members, I want to say to all of you, while we lost his physical presence here on earth, Bill is released this morning. He is released since Friday from that body of death and he's with the father right now he beat us there he beat us there and he's watching this service he's watching all of you now there's nothing wrong with having tears and crying and grieving and we're going to do that and each one of us does it a little bit differently but I want to encourage you in this. Bill wants us to rejoice. Bill wants us this coming Wednesday to have a celebration. Because what he's experiencing right now is a million times better than what he wrestled with here on this earth. He's not only positionally by faith in Christ. He's literally with Jesus right now. Oh, man. What a beautiful hope. What a beautiful reality that each of us have. I, um, I got to stop there. So... Uh, We'll come back next week, God willing, and we'll talk about, we'll talk about this thing. I, I want you just to make note maybe in your mind. Next week, we'll zero in on this, that God is not going to come down from heaven and get the devil off of you. God's not going to come down from heaven and get the devil off of you. All right? So stop praying that. That's a silly prayer. Don't pray that anymore. God is not going to come down from heaven and get the devil off of you. Let me say it a different way. Everything God is going to do about the devil for you, he's already done. So stop praying that God would do something 
about the devil. Now, we'll, we'll, just, we'll unpack that next week and show you through Scripture how that's true. God's already done everything about the devil that he's going to do. And so here's what he says. Here's, here's our part. Remember, we're partners. We're not going to abdicate our partnership. All right? We've learned not to do that now. So here's our part in that. He simply says, resist the devil. He just says, resist the devil, and he will. He'll just run. This big old bad thing, you know, this whoever, I mean, imagine pitchfork, horns, I don't know, red tail, what, what, you know, all powerful, him and God duking it out. The devil slaps God. God takes a couple steps back. God slaps him. The devil takes a couple. I mean, do you really think that's what's going on? <laughs> Okay, that's not at all the picture of spiritual authority, okay? And, and, and here's, here's, here's in just a sentence, a couple of words, what, how God defines what he's done for you about the devil already. Resist the devil and he will run from you. Now we're going to unpack that because there's some things there that you need to see that tie back into 2 Corinthians 10 where we started. And then, God willing, in our fourth message... I'm going to show you how that praise, praising God, worshiping God, see, releases your spiritual authority. You can release angels, you can release the power of the Holy Spirit on your behalf just through praise without having to say or pray anything else. Just worship and love God. And it releases heaven's power and authority for you. If we get to the whole thing, we will next week, but we won't. This has not been going well as far as getting through all the notes.